Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you've enabled us to come to you, to spend time in your house, worshipping you, glorifying you. May our time of meditation be pleasing to you. Hide me behind your cross, Master, and may every word that comes from me is not of mine, but it is yours, for I am only a vessel. Jesus' precious name we pray and ask. Amen. Nikki, title, the Koinonia. So I don't know how many people actually research what does Koinonia mean or Google. So, you know, just to share very quickly, what does Koinonia mean? In the dictionary, um, it says it's a Christian fellowship or communion with God or more commonly with Christians. In the word Koinonia is a Greek word. Um, it was used in the New Testament. Pudu, uh, um, Pudu Veda Adigam um, or New Testament la Paika Patadu. In total, the word koinonia was used 20 times in the New Testament. So I was wondering uh, why they used the word koinonia or why they phrased this word in koinonia at that time. I believe it's because the relationship or the fellowship of the Christians with God and among Christians, they couldn't describe. It's very different from whatever that was happening around the time of Greeks. So they needed to phrase a new word to reflect this fellowship. So they called it koinonia. So in our context today, if we ask ourselves, what is koinonia for us? It's an intimate, intimate fellowship with God or a personal fellowship with God and fellowship with our individual believers. So today, God is asking us one question. Do we have an intimate fellowship with God? Do we have koinonia with God? Do we have it? How, we, how do we know we have it? So, if we have a fellowship and the IQ is in our favor. Um, it's in a, in, in, a in a manner that this fellowship is mutual, it's beneficial to both parties, and it's intimate. So how do we know? So we need to value or we need to measure that fellowship, or we need to know what's the essential of kononia with God. So in you know, my sharing, it's nothing more than for us to evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves this question, is our fellowship with God correct? Are we in the right direction? Is, so how do we know what are the essentials for this relationship? So, number one, we must love God with our total being, right? Number two, submit to God's sovereign rule. Number three, experience God in a real and personal way. Completely trust God. So, these four essentials will actually tell us whether we are in a relationship, in the intimate relationship with God. So today, you know, a lot of things we may be in, you know, relationship in work, in um, church, in um, home, in, you know, our outside 
activities and all those things. So in the, all these fellowships are not in the light if we don't have a fellowship in light with God. So what is that value, what is that essential of that fellowship is that we need to look at these four things, whether we have or not. So today, my friends, God has put to me that one of the things that we need to be aware and also warn ourselves is that in the four essentials are with us or not. So the first one, love God with our total being. So there are Bible verses or there are passages. So Matthew 22 verses 37 to 38 and Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. Now my encouragement to all of us is please take your time to read Deuteronomy 6 in full because it will enlighten us what does loving our God truly mean. So I just want to quote a small portion from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5 in Tamil. So Sister Sashi will help us with the reading. Yeah? So, this one doesn't change. No. We are called to love the Lord, your God, with all our heart, might, and strength. So, what does that, um, what can actually threaten that relationship of love with our God? Um, it's easy to give love, but once, it's, once a relationship is broken or threatened, it's also easy for us to lose that love. Now, let me illustrate. Huh? We may actually be in a relationship with someone with our friends, with our family, with our wives, with our husband, with our children. So, we may love them enough at, to do continuously a lot of things. But eventually, if we don't strengthen that love by sharing what that love means, Whatever that we do becomes an activity, right? So it's the same way with our love with God. So today, we can say, you know, the Bible teaches us we need to love the Lord, your God, with all our heart, all our might, and all our strength. We may be thinking that we are doing a lot of things, that is the sign of love. So the Bible warns us clearly that we need to be careful with all this love. So what can threaten our fellowship with God? What can threaten our love with God? So the first one that I want to share is from Revelations 2, um, chapter 1 to 7. So I don't want to go to reading of the Bible, but let me just share with you. This is a letter to the church of Ephesus. So Revelation, Bible study, you'll know that we went through very detail in this. What was God upset about church of Ephesus? Number one, they were doing everything correct. They had their good deeds. They were hardworking. They persevered through difficulty. They, they were intolerable towards wickedness. They sieved out false apostles. God said, you did all this perfect. I'm so happy with all this. However, you have forgotten your first love. You know, it's a very, very... Um, Interesting letter, and it's right at the end, Revelation. You know, ministry, all those things. If all our work does not lead us to love our God with our total being, then it's just activity. 
So that letter from Ephesus, I think is a very important letter. So I encourage each one of you, please take your time to read Revelation 2, chapter 1 to 7. Because it's a real reminder. I remember that uh, Reverend Victor, in his sermon on Daniel, he actually said that, you know, if we don't have obedience to God, and we don't do what God called us to do, and we don't love God, when we come and do a lot of things in front here, it's a mockery. So in many ways, you know, this is what Revelation 2, 1 to 7 is actually saying. But if you don't have the love of God, it is a mockery. And God is not saying that you cannot forget my first love. So you know, the Bible verses also is very important. It talks about the fellowship with God and fellowship with others. So the fellowship with God is correct. That means our love with God is correct. Our love with our family, our love with our children, the love with our fellow believers will all fall in the place of light. So I think that's something that we need to remember. So what other things can threaten us? Number two, Matthew Patamadigaram, it talks about the love of money about the very rich prince, right? He asked Christ, what must I do to receive the kingdom of God? So, um, Christ said, only one thing you lack in doing, sell everything off and follow me. He cannot do it. He went away sad because his love for his lifestyle, his money, what he has was bigger than love of God. So in context, that challenge has never gone away from us. We still have that challenge. Because if, you, if we look at or what we do sometimes, if we decide that we want to do something for ourselves first, before God, then it is automatically saying that we don't love God first. So when we receive our you know, salaries, our allowances, this and that, you know, God asks us to tithe. So, we do God for God first, or whether we do it for ourselves, at the end we do for God, that actually tells us how much we love God. So, it's something for us to think about. It's still very true. No? Money and materialism is a substitute for God that is very easily. Number two, Matthew 20, 22. 23. I, I, you know, when I was preparing this, the Lord gave me this whole passage, uh, and I found it was um, very enlightening what was God was trying to share. So this is a conversation uh, that started between the mothers of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, with God. So in the, in the passage, um, and I actually looked at the, um, the, the what they call uh, some little bit of um, Bible study notes and all. Huh? The name of the mother is most likely Salome. And she is most likely Mary's sister. Mary is uh, Jesus' mother in this case, right? So that means James and John are related to Christ. So the request was, um, can they sit on your left and right? So sometimes we as family members we are so, so, um, you know, stuck on the point that the children in the position, like, you know, 
our children must be like this, our family must be like this, that we forgot to ask ourselves, did we equip our children to love God? Did we equip our children to be stewards of God? Similarly here, the mother is doing the same thing. She wants left and right, but she never think that, she never talk to Christ, what must my children do to serve you, Lord? So it's a very selfish request. So Adhikapra on the same passage, La Pata, Matthew 20, 24 to 28, all the other disciples become jealous. So remember, these are the group of uh, disciples the Lord used to build his church on, the foundation on. So they are also human. They were also easily diverted away from the love of God. So today, that challenge for us is still there. Yeah, I'm sure all of us want our children to be successful. I'm sure all of us um, want our children to be in some form or some um, position. But are we chasing that? Or are we actually you know, chasing for ourselves and our children the stewardship of the Lord? That means loving Lord fully and doing what He wants in where He places to. It's two different us, huh? So if we keep praying, I want a promotion, I think we have to ask ourselves when we ask for that, is that actually love of God or is what I want? Love of God, we may let, be led to pray, Lord, in where you have placed me, help me to be your steward, help me to fulfill the work that you have asked me to do in the place that you have filled. And I'm pretty sure you will take care of everything else. That's what uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God actually teaches us. It's something for us to consider. Number three, number five. Ephesians 5, 5 talks about immoral greed. Right? Um, it talks about greed is one of the biggest um, sins that can actually overtake the love of God. And um, in a sense, it's very true. So, in a lot of churches in the modern world, the first one to fall down is the mega churches. I'm not saying mega churches are not good. I'm not saying um, mega churches are uh, not where God is working. Definitely, God is working in some of these mega churches. But think about it for a while. Uh, in Singapore, I think there was a very famous mega church some time back where the pastor used all the money for his uh, wife to go into making you know, uh, song, album, and all. I can't remember the name of the church. He also had um, you know, tax evasion, Malachi 3, 6, 12. It's a very famous Bible verse. talks about tithe. So, which is true. That's what the Bible asks us. But you know, look at it another way. We love our children. Will we ever send our children to school without giving their portion? If we truly love our God, our Lord says, honor me. The Lord says, say thank you to me yeah, by giving your first fruits as your offering to me. Why we find it very difficult to do? Why do we always want to do that last? You know, the Bible says we are robbing God. In many ways, it's true because what God has given us we are reluctant to give it back to him. You know, in our world, nothing belongs to us. Everything belongs to the Lord. So if we cannot return 
you know, give back God what he has given us, we are robbing him. And we are not in love with our first love. Something for us to think about. The other passage, uh, the continuation from here. Malachi 3, 13 to 14, talks about arrogance against God. You read the Bible passage, uh, it actually says, why should I serve you, Lord? Why? What have you done for me? That's pure arrogance. No? That means you're, we are so, the, the, the writer says, uh, the people of Israel were so confident in themselves, they think they were right. They were so arrogant, and they actually asked God, why should I serve you? Right? You know, sometimes the Lord may challenge us. Huh? You have to do this. You have to do that. We may actually challenge back and say, why God? Why should I do that? Why do you want me to do that? Why are you asking me to do that? I don't want to do that. It's our arrogance, in a way, because we are relying on what we know to say that's not right for me when the Lord says it's right for you to do this. Yeah? So there's a lot of things somehow you can pick up from the Bible, from our walk of lives that can threaten our fellowship with God or threaten our first love with God. So, you know, just to summarize very quickly, yeah, I think we have to be very careful yeah, and I, I really encourage all of us Please go back and read Revelation 2, 1 to 7. Because it clearly tells us as a church, are we just doing activity or is our activity aligned towards God because we love Him? That's one. Second one, our own personal self. Is our family becoming more important than God? Number two, is our work, is our... Um, you know, difficulties that we face, the challenges that we face become so important that God takes second place, that we do not love God anymore. So today, my Bible, you know, my sermon, it's not about good, feel-good factor. It's about reflection. It's about us asking some question on ourselves. Do we truly have a fellowship with God? So the first one that I want to challenge all of us do we truly love our God with our total being? You know, it's time for us to reflect, time for us to think through carefully. Number two, submit to God's sovereign rule. So, um, Jamie helped me do a survey. I know some of you were a little bit upset with the questions, so my apologies for that. Um, the whole design of the questions uh, is based on... Um, asking the um, different questions with almost the same meaning or asking different questions the same meaning to arrive at a conclusion. Who is the head? So if you look at Bible, uh, the Bible teaches us number, from Job 20, 21, uh, Job 22, 21 to 22, it clearly states that peace and prosperity is from God's rule. So in our country, if there's no God rule, we will not have peace and prosperity. But in actual fact, if you dig and dig and see, there's a lot of things that's not right. Because a lot of things is not done honoring God. That's one. Second one, Matthew 6.10. On the Sunday, you know, when we pray, um, 
when we also pray at home, probably we say the Lord's Prayer. We always say, your kingdom come, your rule on earth be done as it is in heaven. Do we truly mean that we want God's sovereign rule over us? Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 18. And like I mentioned, uh, please go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Clearly tells about God's rule, God, the love that we need to have for God. Now, Psalm 103, verse 19. Can we have this read in Tamil? So, it clearly indicates uh, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So, if we really want God's sovereign rule, I think the question that we need to answer is who is the head? This is a very important question. I know that the questionnaire that I sent was confusing. I, I was hoping to confuse everyone. My apologies for that. The reason is I think we need to be very clear who is the head. If you're not very clear who is the head, we have a problem. Because we will be, we will be having a lot of different things that we didn't realize because we may not understand who is the head. So the questioners that I actually asked was this. Uh, I just read out very quickly the question. Who's the president of TAC? Who's the leader of TAC? Who's the leader of the church? Who's the head of the Methodist Church in Malaysia? Who's the shepherd of our church? Who is the head of TAC? Who's the bishop of Methodist Church in Malaysia? Who's the head of Malaysia? Who's the head of our church? And who's the head of Catholic Church? So in the questioners, it's done in a way uh, to confuse people just so that you to see whether you consistently be able to identify who's the head or not. The reason I did it that way is, in reality, that's how life is, right? It's always confusing sometimes. The devil schemes. The devil can, you know, you can use different methods to confuse us to know who God is. So, let's just look at the answer. Like that's, I just wanted to share... So, Mother Vendita, um, just want to share very quickly. Uh, um, head of Catholic Church, most of us answered Pope. No? Interesting. Eh? But God and Jesus are still there. Um, when we talk about Methodist Church of Malaysia, who's the head? Most of us answered Bishop, God, President, and Jesus. When President here, not uh, Donald Trump, is TAC President. Okay, the last one. Uh, Head of Malaysia, we put Agong, God, um, Jesus, and Mahade. So, people who are not familiar with constitution got a problem here. <laughs> okay, um, so you know what is consistent. Uh, in reality, when we talk about who's the head of Catholic Church, straight away Namalla under Pope. So something is um, something to think about. No? Then second one is. Methodist Church owner, Bishop. Then the head of the church, head of the country, head of Malaysia, as children of God, we have to ask two questions. Is it Agung or is it someone else? So uh, let me share with you the other two. Uh, um, head of TAC. So it's almost like a normal distribution curve. Uh. So um, the middle one, when they take president. So president is the highest, followed by Jesus, we had God. I think there is someone who's either a pure Democrat or a socialist. They actually put TAC exposed, the head of uh, <laughs> TAC. And uh, that same person actually put head of GMC is LCC. 
Yeah. I also had a lot of funny, funny answers. La. So, you know, sometimes you can look at them and laugh, but you also can think back, uh, you know, are we really that shallow sometimes in the way we look at things? Anyway, so we also had head of TAC Bishop. That was interesting. Then when you talk about GMC, eh, what is surprisingly is everyone put Jesus. Majority actually put head of GMC is Jesus. So I was just wondering those who put Jesus, eh, why they cannot look at head of uh, TAC, head of Catholic Church, head of uh, Methodist Church as Jesus as the head. Why only GMC they want to consider Jesus as the head? Maybe because we're on the 10th story. I don't know. So, um, apart from that, you know, we also had lay leader, pastor, God. But it was an interesting survey. Um, so, but we have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible teach us? So I quote all Bible verses. Uh, please take your time to go back home and look at this. Psalm 118, verse 22. It teaches us Christ is the cornerstone. So cornerstone, when they direct language, uh, translate panna, cornerstone na the corner Cornerstone in English means you take out this pillar, the whole building will fall. That means the building is built around this pillar. So that means in our lives, the Bible teaches us Christ has to be the center. That's one. Second one, Ephesians 1, 22. Christ is the head of the church. Interesting, huh? So if Christ is the head of the church, if we consider the Catholic church is a church, if we consider Methodist church is a church and not a body, then who is the head of Methodist Church? Who is the head of Catholic Church? If we don't see Christ as the head and we see the Pope as the head, either the Catholic Church has a problem that they are not sharing Christ as the head or we have a problem to recognize that the Pope served the Christ, served Christ. Or maybe the Pope is not serving the Christ. I don't know. But it's something for us to think about. 1 Corinthians 11.3 it says, Christ is the head of us all, and God is the head of Christ. So Paul uses the word head a lot, and I think it's good from a doctrine teaching. Eh? So why did he say that in 1 Corinthians 11.3? Christ is the head of us all, and God is the head of Christ. So it says, the government will be on his shoulder, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall say, worship his name. Whose name? Christ, right? So that means, wouldn't it be true that Christ is the head of us all and God has put everything under earth, under Christ as the head? So if we are the children of God and if we truly love God, if we have fellowship with God, Shouldn't we look at every church, every organization that does God's work? Even the country itself, the rule of the country, everything is under Christ. It's a question for us to think about today. 
Colossians 1, 18, it repeats again, Christ is the head of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, it teaches us we are the body and Christ is the head. So this is a very important one. If we are the uh, body and Christ is the head, that means um, if you take a human anatomy, the brain is in the head, right? So um, I was teaching Timothy. Timothy was actually teaching me. It was the other way around on muscles. So when we talked about muscles, I think there are three types of muscles in the body. One, the brain actually tells um, it to work, and we don't have to ask the brain to do so. It's on the background job, like in the computer alarm. You know, you do the backup and all back background job, something like that. Second one, I think, is a muscle that you must give instruction. Third one is, um, I can't remember what it was. I'm getting old. So there are three different types of muscles in our body the brain controls. So if I use the same analogy, and we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, if Christ is the head, but right, he should be the brains of the whole organization. Correct? That means whatever we do, it needs to be instructed by Christ. As a church, as an individual, as a family. So whenever we have, whenever we are doing something, how much is Christ involved in the decision process? No doubt, number one, the meeting, we start with a prayer, we end with a prayer. But whenever we have disagreements or whenever we do things, is it for us or is it we are trying to do something for Christ? Are we trying to do his work? So just now the song, The Waymaker, I think the lyrics clearly say in his work all around us. So if he's working all around us, whatever that we are doing in the church, at home, if Christ is truly the head, are we allowing him to make decisions? That is another question we need to ask. Or are we making our own decisions? Colossians 2.10, Christ is the head of every power and authority. So this is, these are the Bible verses that clearly indicates uh, everything on earth is under Christ's rule or Christ is the head. Just for us to think about as children of God, we have a fellowship with God. How do we look at everything? Maybe we are taught in school, uh, the head of the country is Agong and Prime Minister is the, um, the what they call, I think the executive, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but that is how the worldly uh, knowledge teaches us. But if we are children of God, we need to acknowledge Malaysia, the head is Christ. And when we pray, we need to pray his rule is in dominance. We need to pray his fairness comes into equation. That the people that he has put there is because he has decided to put there. We need to bless them and they need to be able to go back to what Christ wants them to do. Remember, God has used both um, believers and non-believers to achieve what he wants to achieve. There's so many things we can quote from the Bible. So the key question is, why is all this important to us? Number one, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 17, and the passage of Patina, it says, people start to say, I'm following Paul, I'm following Christ, I'm following Silas, I'm following Barnabas. So everyone was following someone else except Christ. Or there was a group that was said, I was following Christ. But, you know, think about it. Huh? If um, we say we follow the president, that means there is a possibility huh, 
whatever the president say we do, we do, we do, we do, we may end up doing without questioning whether it's from Christ or not, or whether we are honoring Christ, whether we are following Christ. Similarly, if let's say in our church, you know, we have to be very thankful and grateful. A lot of people in our church realize the head of our church is Jesus. So, but let's say the head of the church, somebody says, it's me. And actually, somebody did put that there. No? So, it's worrying. La. So, so, and if I started making all the decisions, and nobody questions that, what happens if I divert the church completely away from God's teaching? So, we need to recognize very clearly who is the head of our church, who is the Methodist church head, who's the head of our country. And we need to know it's Christ. And whatever that we do, it needs to go into the work that is happening around us. And it needs to be very, very aligned to what Christ wants, even in family. Number two, Galatians 2, 11 to 14. This is a very interesting story. You know, this is Chap uh, Paul and Peter. Peter went into a house full of Gentiles and there were some Jews. This is the man that God said, I will build, uh, you are my rock, I will build my church on you. This is the man who started behaving as a Jew and shying away from the Gentiles. Was he following Christ as the head or was he following the Jews as the head? So Paul corrected him. He said, I have never seen you be like this. You are not like this. Where, why are you behaving like this? And he brought him back to who Christ was, that Christ is the head. So if we acknowledge Christ is the head, when people in church, in our organ, in, you know, in wherever we are in, in, in God's work, when they are diverting away from what Christ wants, we can bring them back. That's something for us to think about. Third, John 15, 5, bear many fruits. I am the wine, whoever remains in me as a branch will continue to bear a lot of fruits. So, Namloda gifts, Namloda talent, it's useless if we keep it to ourselves. It's only useful when we bless others, when we do for others. And for us to be able to do that, we have to remain in the uh, wine, which is Christ. That means we have to remain in Christ, and we have to acknowledge Christ is the head if we want the gifts to grow and our gifts and our talents to bless others. Nalaudu, Acts 10. Peter's acceptance, Jews and Gentiles are like God speaks to anyone he wishes. Please read this whole chapter. It talks about, you know, that cup, the, that blanket that opens up with different kinds of animal that is unclean in the law of Jew, and Christ said to Peter, kill and eat three times. And the reason, the whole lesson was about for Peter to accept that Christ can choose anyone to do his will, Christ is the head, and he can decide to change anything. You need to follow me. And you need to speak to anyone as Christ wishes. So these are some of the things why it's important for us to realize who is the head. So something for us to think about. Are we allowing God to rule over us sovereignly? Munaudir, experience God in a real and personal way. So, the first one, Genesis 28, verse 10 to 20. We learned about Jacob in the Bible study last week. The gateway to heaven. So, I think for those who are doing the Bible quiz, there is one portion 
thing from here, the quiz. So Genesis 28, 16 to 17, right? We, our church itself, is ba based on the last verse that we are a gateway to heaven. Number one. Let me summarize later as we read this. Huh? Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. So if you look at this, they are, have no fear in them. Yeah? When you looked at Jacob, Jacob had a dream of the vision of what is going to happen in the future. If you look at Daniel, he's actually, um, you know, his three friends don't have a single amount of fear. You can do whatever you want. We don't care. It doesn't matter the God we serve rescuers or not. We will not st stop serving him. 1 Kings 18, 36 to 37. So, you know, I think Reverend James also used this as a Bible study on a Friday. So if you look at this passage, he was on Mount Carmel. There was 450 Baal uh, priests. So 450 people, Yolona. Imagine Elisha, sorry, Elijah is standing up here. When we open our church full, our full seating capacity, that means Naura Kuda Adol Lama Wakandana, we can hit about 450 people to 400 and maybe 80. So that means all the meeting rooms are full all the way behind until the, the library, even the, you know, until the walkway to go towards the pantry toilet is full. So one person against this entire hall full is against him. One. Rendaude, the amount of Israelites that were waiting there. One person uh, against the multitudes. But look at how he speaks. Right? He looks upon the Lord and he says that you are the God of Israel and I know I'm your servant and here I am, I'm asking you, answer these people so that they know that they are Lord, they are God. So, three different stories from the Bible, three different testimonies from the Bible, from Elijah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Jacob. All these testimonies uh, is their life journey with the Lord. They are not able to speak this way if they are not experienced God personally. They have not experienced God can save them. They have not experienced the God that they, God can tell what he foretold for the future. They cannot speak like this if they have not experienced God to go against those who rebel against them, against him. So they are able to do this is because they have experienced God in a real and personal way. So in Nikki term, what about us? Are we connected to God in a real and personal way? Are we being able to speak like these people in the Bible, like these testimonies in the Bible because we have experienced God or not? If we, are, we have experienced God in a real and personal way, our actions, words we speak, will testify for Him. Two, kings and rulers will submit to his rule. Through us, kings and rulers will listen because God is speaking through us. God speaks. That's what we, we, we looked at it a couple of weeks back. We are recognized his body, right? 
they will know we are children of God. I'm sure a lot of you would have experienced where they said, are you a Christian? Because of the way we do things, the way we speak, the way we carry ourselves. And that is because we have a personal relationship with God. If we have a personal relationship with God, we can experience His nature. His nature here means He's our Redeemer, He's our Protector, He's our Healer, He's our you know, Comforter, He's our Counselor, He's our Lord, He's the one who leads, He's the one who provides. He's, that's His nature. We cannot experience all those if we are not tied with Him personal. And we're not able to reflect that personal if we are not tied with them, in him, the personal relationship. Undoubtedly, he's able to show his purpose. Where is he going? Where is his direction? Where is his work? And what he wants us to do. We can unite many for his purposes. This is very important because if we have a personal relationship with God, we are able to show how that relationship is affecting our life and we are able to bring many united to him. Yeah? Completely trust God. Always we sing, trust and obey. So if somebody asks a question to us, chicken come first or the egg come first? It's a very difficult question to answer. But in the case of um, obedience, it's a very easy answer. Trust come first. If you don't trust someone, you cannot obey the person. Children who do not trust their parents are willing not to be obedient to their parents. Similarly, parents who don't trust children will not be obedient to whatever that the children wants. Similarly, in church also, if we don't trust each other, we will never be willing to listen and obey whatever that someone wants to lead or do. Right? In workplace also the same. So I believe trust comes first. So if you look at our Bible verses, uh, um, I think um, the first one I wanted to share with you as illustration is when Peter walked on water, Matthew 14, 22 to 23. He started sinking because he started worrying about the wind, uh, you know, the gale, whatever not. So his focus, his trust shifted from looking at Christ straight and walking towards him and shifted towards what was his fear. So he trusts on fear become bigger than his trust on Christ. One. Second, 2 Chronicles 16. Asa's success and pride led him to trust himself. I suggest, please read, go to 2 Chronicles and read the whole story of Asa. But to be, you know, in a summarized version, the king of Syria wanted to attack him together with Basha, king of Israel. This is Basha in the Bible, not Basha from Tamil Nadu. Yeah? So, so, you know, they wanted to attack the Ju uh, kingdom of Judah. In the previous time, bigger armies have come. He has relied on God, and God has rescued him. But in this case, he relied on himself. He took the treasures in the church, took the treasures that was in the temple of the Lord, and his own personal treasure, gave to the king of Syria and said, pull out from your alliance with Israel and go and attack Israel. Because of all the success he has had, he trusted his decision is bigger than the Lord's decision. Today, we are also challenged the same way. If we have success in our life, that success from 
come from Christ. But does that lead us to trust in ourselves after that or still continue to trust in God? So if we don't trust, we cannot obey someone. So if we don't trust the Lord, we cannot obey the Lord. Munaudir. 1 Kings 11, God favor vacates Solomon. God appeared to Solomon twice. The first time he appeared, he asked God, Solomon, what do you want? He said, I want knowledge and wisdom and discernment to rule over your people. God gave him everything because of what he asked. But that pride of the success led him away from trusting God. Today, most of us are also like that. If we are not careful with our pride, uh, pride can lead us to walk away from trusting God and taking that obedience from God away. So I just want to show with you, uh, our trust today can be tempted in many ways. Number one, ourselves, our pride, our arrogance, our greed. All this needs to go away. Otherwise, we start trusting ourselves and not God. Second, other people's success, ability, resource, and talent. So, oh, that person is very good. So, I have a problem, I must go to him and ask for him help. That, problem, that man is very good, he has this talent. I must go to him and ask him to do. We don't go to God first. So, that is another way our trust can be misled. Munaudu, programs, methods. So, the Sinja, we rely too much on our methodology, too much on programs. We Methodists are always at this risk. No? We are very methodological. End up sometimes we rely too much on our methods rather than Christ. There is a risk. So where is our trust? For interest of many. So to do the right thing in church, to do the right thing in office, because that is aligned to what God wants, because our trust in God, our trust in Christ, might not be the popular decision. Are we willing to do that? And obey him, or are we willing to do something that's what everyone wants to do? Deceit, sorry, fear of the unknown. We start trusting fear and start doing all sorts of preparation instead of trusting God. Deceit, yeah? there's a lot of cheat, this and that, that can actually take us away from the trust of God. We can be cheated sometimes, we, you know, we didn't expect to be cheated, but we were cheated. So that causes not to trust the Lord. That can happen. Earthly rewards, the promotions, the gold medals, the winning in things that you didn't expect to win. That can actually take away the trust from God if you're not careful. I also want to ask you all to please look at two verses, Genesis 3, 1 and Ephesians 6, 11. So can you please read Genesis 3, 1? So the serpent here is the devil. So the devil is very someone who schemes. So what I like to warn all of us is, or what I like to share with all of us is, the devil is a schemer. Whether we are at the highest point of our success or at the lowest ebb in our life, the easiest thing for him to destroy is our trust in God. Look at how he asked Eve. It was a question, no. Did God really say you cannot eat on this? He was testing her trust on God. So today is the same thing for us. No? The devil schemes. And when he schemes, the thing that he will put in our mind is a question mark to trust our God and to trust in our own selves around us so that we can move away from God. So today, 
question that we need to ask ourselves in every part of our lives, are we completely trusting God? So as a summary, I just want to leave these uh, four things for us to think about. Like I said, today's sermon is not a feel-good factor sermon. It's about reflection. It's about asking ourselves the right questions. Are we in koinonia with God? Do we have the right intimate relationship with God? Uh, we don't have to wait for Lent season to ask this question. We don't have to wait for beginning of the year to ask this question, to set new uh, milestones for the year. We don't have to wait for end of the year to reflect. We can, we can ask this question anytime. And when we ask this question anytime, the four things I think all of us have to ask ourselves, we, do we love God with our total if our relationship with God is correct. Number two, submit to God's sovereign rule. Are we really submitting to God's sovereign rule? Do we know who is the head of our church, head of our family, head of our you know, Methodist church, who's the head of the country if we have a relationship with him? Experience God in a per real and personal way. Bible Pachite, wow, what such great things God has done for Daniel, his friends, Jacob, Elijah, Elisha. They are testifying their personal relationship with God. It's real and personal. Today, can we write our own diary? Can we write our own notes? Can we go in front and testify the same way these people have testified our personal and real relationship with God? That's the third thing. Lastly, we completely trust God. We completely trust God that leads to obedience because that is what He wants from us. Okay, let's bow our head in prayer. Father Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for allowing us to reflect on your words. We want to thank you that you have put in our hearts the need for us to have a fellowship with you, the need for us to have a colonial relationship with you. I want to ask that we, you, you move each one of us in our hearts to look upon you to realize the essentials that we are missing in our relationship with you and put in our hearts the burden to correct ourselves. In Jesus' precious name we pray and ask. Amen.